Imagine you come home from work and your spouse says to you, oh, good, you're home. Uh Uh-uh, don't touch the computer. Go hang up your coat, wash your hands, and come set the tape. Did I tell you to look at the mail? Put it down now. Hurry up. Dinner's going to be ready soon. Did you hear me? I said now. Instead of just thinking about how do I get a child to do something, it's really nice to sit back and say, what is going on for the child? You know, what are my needs? What are their needs? How can we make it work? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Parenting Translator newsletter. Um, I am beyond excited because I am here with um, authors Joanna Faber and Julie King. Um, I read their book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, around the time my first child was a toddler. And it was a huge life-changing book for my parenting because it gave me some real effective strategies for getting your children to listen to you and dealing with other sorts of behavioral problems that start coming up in the toddler years. Um, So I'm so excited to have you both here. I cannot wait to pick your brains. Um, But first, would you mind introducing yourselves and telling my audience where we can find you and all the incredible resources that you provide? Sure. So this is Julie King. We are the authors of two books, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7, and our more recent book, which is how to talk when kids won't listen, whining, fighting, meltdowns, defiance, and other challenges of childhood. And you can find our books wherever books are sold. You can also find us online. We're at how-to-talk.com. So the words how to talk with dashes in between.com. And we're on Instagram, parents. Where else are we? We're on Facebook, Faber and King. Or if you search for the title of our little kids book, you'll find us there. That's pretty much where we are online. And I also lead workshops. I work privately with with clients, with parents. I give talks. So we have a whole range of, Joanna and I give talks together. We have a whole range of services that we provide. And uh, that's us. Do you want to add Okay. Julie pretty much said it all. But... I will offer that I am Joanna Faber. And one of my claims to fame is that my mother is Adele Faber, who wrote How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk back in 1980. So I grew up in the think tank with, you know, this whole method of communication. And and I've known Julie since... She and I were babies. I think we were around six months old when we met. So we grew up together and, and, you know, we grew up with parents using this style of communication. So we're kind of saturated in it. That's so amazing. I had no idea you guys grew up together. So I'd love to jump right into the questions I have. So I'm a parent of three little kids. So I and experiencing children not listening on a regular basis. So why is it that young children don't listen to their parents? Is it that they don't hear it? Is it that they do hear it and they just don't want to do it? Or is there something else at play? I think, you know, it would really help us parents to know why does this happen? There's so many ways to answer that question. (laughs) Here's how I'm going to start. Oftentimes kids don't listen. We have to step back and say, what do we mean by listen, right? What What we usually mean is our kids don't 
do what I say, right? They don't behave, they don't obey, right? One of the things that we talk about in our book is that there's a connection between how kids feel and how they behave, right? If we want them to, to behave better, we want them to listen, we have to pay attention to how they're feeling because there's a connection. If they feel better, they're more likely to behave better. In fact, that's not just true for kids. It's true for all people. If you think about those times in your own life, Kara, when you're glad that you didn't accidentally leave the Zoom camera on when your, kid, your kids get running into the, into the room, right? And you say something that you're glad nobody heard. What Those times tend to be also when we ourselves are not feeling our best. Like maybe you're feeling stressed. In fact, if you were doing a podcast and your kids came running in, you might be stressed that you're getting interrupted and something's happening, right? Or, you know, for those of us who have, you know, in the course of our lives, maybe we had a hard time at work or we got into an argument with our spouse or we're just exhausted because we've been up all night. Those tend to be the times when we are not our best selves, right? And we tend to say or do things as parents that at other times we might handle more, with more grace. So it's true for adults and it's true for kids. If we want them to behave better, we need to pay attention to how they feel. And how can we help them feel better? Well, one of the things that we can do is to accept their feelings, which sounds so simple when I say it like that, but can be really hard. It's, it's easy to say and hard to do, right? It's actually, it's easy to, it's easy to do when the kids are having feelings we, we are happy for them to have, you know, oh, you're excited about having, getting Lego for your birthday. It's so wonderful. But when they say, I didn't want Legos, I wanted blocks. You're like, you should feel grateful you got anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's when we tend to want to sort of deny those feelings. Like you're having the wrong feeling. Or especially when they say, you know, I hate my baby brother. We want to say, that's a terrible thing to say. I don't want to hear you talking about that. That's your brother. We love each other, right? So if you're asking, like, why do kids not listen? One reason is because we're expecting them to behave in a way that they don't feel, a, that they, it doesn't match their feelings. They don't feel right. And so they don't want to do what we want them to do. Did you want to add something? I guess you've given the what we want to say. So, so I'll jump in with the, you know, what we can say. If, if we're in that moment when, you know, we're able to think it through and be helpful. So for the kid who comes and says, you know, I hate my brother. And we want to say, you know, you have to be patient with him. He's only two years old. And don't say that. That's not nice. He's your family. We love each other. We want to accept those feelings. We can say, oh, you sound really annoyed with your brother right now. You know, it's it's not easy always to have a two-year-old around. They can really get into your stuff. And, and that's sort of a scary place to go for us because I think the fear is we don't want to magnify those negative feelings. It's sort of counterintuitive. But what we find is that when we accept the feelings and acknowledge the feelings, uh, a child is able to calm down and think a little clearer because now he doesn't have to argue with us. No, I really do hate him. He's horrible. Now he has someone who understands like, oh yeah, it is hard to, you know, have a two-year-old around, you know, where, where could I put my Lego so that my little brother can't grab it and break it. So now instead of arguing, he can, he can think. 
I think, you know, as as adults, we're that way too. When somebody denies our feelings, we become more ferocious in them. Uh, all we all you have to do is look at the political dialogue that's going on these days. You know, you you really can't convince a person by telling them they're wrong. You have to start by listening and accepting, which is very soothing. It makes a person feel understood and it makes a person be able to think more clearly. Uh, oh, here's a here's a classic. You know, I hate this homework. It's too hard. I can't do it. You know, and what do we as parents want to say? Oh, so, oh, no, it's not. Like long division isn't hard at all. Here, I'll help you. That's kind of enraging and upsetting. Oh, the thing that I thought was hard really isn't hard. It's easy. That's how stupid I am. <laughs> uh, it's actually going to be more helpful to that kid if you say, oh, long division, that can be so frustrating. There's so many steps to it. It can drive you crazy. And you have 10 of them. Oh, that's a lot. Now a kid feels understood. Now she might be in this in a frame of mind where she can accept some help with, you know, how could we do it in the, you know, what should we do? Should we try just one and then, you know, do a few jumping jacks? Uh, once your feelings are accepted, it allows you to move forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So this makes me think, what is it about our kids that's not listening that is so frustrating for us as parents? You know, it seems to be like a trigger almost for a lot of us parents. Like it's really frustrating that Mm. you have to ask the same thing over again and they're not listening. What is it about it for parents that is so frustrating? Well, I think it could be a number of things, but one 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 thing is that it makes a person feel powerless. When I think, no, you've got to put your shoes on and the kid goes running away. Now I feel like I've been ineffective. I can't make this kid do what he needs to do. And I feel frustrated and it feels personal. It yeah. feels like I've been disrespected, right? So I think that's that can be why it can be so frustrating for parents. And a lot of us, Growing up, we were we were told, you know, when you're told to do something, you do it, and it was there was a consequence. <laughs> there was some physical activity that was painful if you didn't obey, and so we learned that you do things when you are told to do things, mm-hmm. and then to have kids who don't do it, and a lot of us are trying to to change the way that we respond to our kids and not use physical di- discipline and consequences and all of that, and yet, what do you do? Because I still need to get to the car because his brother's waiting at the pickup, right? So and I there are that- so many things. There are so many things we have to get our kids to do just to get through the day, right? You know, get them into their clothes, get them to brush their teeth, get them out of bed before even that all, you know, get them to the car, get them to buckle in. You know, it can just feel exhausting. And when every little thing is a fight, uh, it's just it can be misery. But by the same token. Think of it from the kid's point of view. The kid is being ordered around all day. And none of us as human beings appreciate being ordered around. In fact, orders make us feel defiant. So if, you know, we do in our book, we do a lot of try it out on yourself, self exercises. You know, we like to say, imagine you come home from work and your spouse says to you, oh, good, you're home. Uh Uh-uh, don't touch the computer. Go hang up your coat, wash your hands, and come set the tape. Did I tell you to look at the mail? Put it down now. Hurry up. Dinner's going to be ready soon. Did you hear me? I said now. 
Now, I'm imagining that you're feeling like turning around, getting back in the car and going out and having pizza at the corner joint, right? Because, (laughs) you know, as soon as somebody gives us an order, we're like, whoa, 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 you can't control me. Yeah. So when we give kids orders, we're sort of working against ourselves. We're, We're stirring up defiance in their little souls instead of the feeling of cooperation. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So all of this, I think, helps parents to understand this whole process and why it's frustrating on both ends. But on a practical note, is there a way that we can phrase what we're saying that might make our kids more likely to listen? Because like you said, we do have to do, you know, they do need to get ready for school. They do need to brush their teeth. So is there a way we can say it or something we can do to get their attention that makes them more likely to listen? Well, we have a whole list of (laughs) ways you can do that. (laughs) I don't think we're going to have time to go through them all, but I will share with you one of my favorite tools that we have for getting kids to listen. And that, especially for little kids is to be playful. I shouldn't say especially for little kids, even adults like to like to have a little fun instead of just feeling everything's drudgery. But for little kids, you know, when let's just take the example of trying to get them to put their shoes on, right? Yeah. No kid wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, I can't wait to put my shoes on this morning. Well, yeah. except for kids with new shoes or, you know, oh, I've got Velcro, I want to learn how to do it. But most of them are thinking about something else. They're like, they want to play, right? That's what kids like to do. So your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your four-year-old gets up and they're not thinking, hmm, what do I need to do this morning before we have to go out in the car? No, they're thinking, oh, look, I left the Legos out. I was going to finish that block story, that block tower I was building. They're not thinking about the shoes. So how can we make it more likely that they will like to cooperate and get their shoes on? Well, you know, being playful, that's like I say, that's one of my favorite tools. A lot of parents will say to me, be playful. I, I, I'm not really a playful type. That's my spouse, or I don't even know where to start. So we have a bunch of ideas of how to be playful with kids. And one of my favorites in that list is to make an inanimate object talk. So instead of grabbing that child's foot and trying to jam the foot, the shoe on, which we all know what that's like. Hey, stop moving around. You better not kick me, young lady. You know, that sort of talk. You can make the, the shoe talk. I feel so empty. I need a foot in me to warm me up. You know, suddenly that little kid who was, think, you know, wiggling around is like trying to jam their foot in the shoe saying, here you go here. I'll warm you up. So turning something into, into a game or making it playful it just changes the mood. It makes kids feel more cooperative. And lest we be concerned that this is being too permissive and a child needs to learn to do what he or she is told, you know, when I say jump, you should say how high. Um, I just want to throw in here that play is a child's natural way of learning. And that is how we are wired. So if we work with that, we're working with the nature of of our humanity. And there have also been studies that have shown that the more we interact uh, playfully with children and give them choices and let them take the lead, the more likely they are to actually listen when we have to wrap out a command you know, like, oh my goodness, we're late. We really have to hurry up. Let's go now. You know, kids who have been told what to do all day long, you know, and if, you know, if you wrap out five commands in a row, they 
you know, will start to withdraw because there's no reason to engage. And playfulness makes kids feel connected. Once the little talking shoe has nibbled the delicious toes, you can ask a kid, if you know, do you want to hop to the car like a bunny or should we slide to the car like a snake or should we fly like dragonflies? You know, there's it's just a nice way to go through the day and it makes people feel connected. And can we do it all the time? No. But if we do it some of the time, it creates a bond and it makes everything go better. And I would also add, because sometimes parents say to me, well, don't they just have to learn? There are certain things you have to do, even though you don't want to do them. And I would say, first of all, absolutely. And not to worry, they will have that experience that will happen (laughs) in the course of their lives. But I also think that learning to take a chore that we have to do and turn it into something pleasant is a good life skill. Yeah. I think we do it as adults, right? When we have a sink full of dirty dishes, do we say to ourselves, I hate washing the dishes. I'm not doing it. Okay, I'll do it. And we do it and wash them in misery. Or like me, we put on a podcast. Maybe somebody's washing dishes as we speak, right? <laughs> or we put on music. We, you know, we talk to a friend while we're while we're washing the dishes. I think that that's what we're teaching kids is that we can we can change how we do something even when we have to do it. I love that reframe. Okay, so work in some playfulness, work in some choices, but what do parents do when you just feel like you're repeating yourself over and over and over again and kids aren't listening and you kind of get into this bad cycle of like, you literally have to say it a million times or you have to scream for them to finally listen. Like how Hmm. can parents kind of get out of those bad cycles? Uh, I'm just wondering, Kara, since you have three young children, If you would want to volunteer an example, because I think that can be useful to think about in terms of a concrete example of something you're trying to get your kids to do and they're just ignoring you. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this, the struggle that I deal with a lot is getting out the door to school in the morning. So let's go get out the door, like just walk, you know, keep going. And, um, you know, we have to be at school at a certain time, you know, we can't be late every day or, we will get a call from the school that, you know, we have too many tardies. And um, so that there is, there is a time limit and we don't always have time, you know, for all the playfulness and for all the validation of feelings. Although sometimes some mornings there are some mornings there are, you know, Um, it's just real life. So I think that is probably my prime example of what I deal with when we're on a real time crunch. I can so relate because (laughs) I have been, driven into screaming frenzies so many mornings in my past, (laughs) just trying to get my kids not to miss the bus so that I don't have to put everybody in snowsuits and get the ice off the windshield and drive them to school and go in that long line. And, you know, it's a horrible consequence for us and it's no consequence for them. Exactly. So I can completely relate. And I think that when you're, it's hard to do something when you're in the moment, which is why one of the tools in our book we call problem solving, which you can do not in the moment, but at some peaceful time when everyone's feeling relaxed and open-minded. And the idea is not to come up with punishments or consequences, but to invite your kids to sit down with you and tell them, you know, we have a problem and I want to, I want you know, I want us to put our heads together and see what we can come up with. And 
one of the keys to this method is that you have to start by acknowledging your kids' feelings. Because if you don't start with their feelings, you're probably not going to get them engaged in the first place. So, you know, you might start by saying, boy, mornings are tough. You know, it's, you know, you have to get out of bed when you're tired. You have to rush to do something you don't even really want to do, which is go to school. And it's no fun being yelled at by your mom. So you try to reflect their experience. You know, now they're listening. And then you can say, the problem for me is, you know, I dread missing the bus and I don't like ending up screaming and all that kind of thing. You make your part brief. I'll just stop there um, because you don't want to go on and on lecturing your kid. So key phrase, we need ideas, you know, pull out your pencil and paper. And if you can just sit and wait, give your child some space to come up with the first idea, which you will write down no matter what. So if your child says, well, you can just drive me to school every day. You Oh, okay. First idea. Mom will drive <laughs> little zipper and buzz to school every day uh, because you say, oh, no, that won't work. You yeah. know, then you're, you're done. Um, every, every idea is, is, can be in there, you know, hire a helicopter, put it in. But in fact, in my family, we went through this process and I heard from a lot of families who went through this process and all kinds of ideas were generated that were then helpful. And one, you know, key mode was that instead of when you talk about the parent asking again and again and again, was that instead of the parent um, being the one who's in charge of nagging, there's something written. In our case, we had a little chart, you know, we decided, okay, what do you have to do to get ready in the morning? We made little pictures and there were boxes that the kid could check off. And the final box when you finished everything was play, you know, if you finish everything in time and they love checking off the play box. <laughs> so now if the kid seems like to be drifting off, you can say, oh, look at the chart. And now the chart is going to tell the chart that the kid helped make is going to tell the kid what to do. And it also helps a, a young child does it can't always keep all this stuff in his head. Well, first have to do this, then this, then this, then this. So it, it really is helpful having a child learn how to take responsibility and learn how to organize their time. One parent used this device called a time timer for her young child who would always run out of time and end up screaming and crying as when she tried to rush him. And she realized that when she was saying, well, there's only five minutes left, you know, there's only 10 minutes left. There's only five minutes left. It was making him frantic, but he didn't really know what that meant. So she got him this little clock where you turn the dial. And as you turn the dial, the face turns red. So for 15 minutes, a quarter of the clock face turns red. And then the child can see as that red slice gets slimmer and slimmer. So he can have a visual sense that the time is going by and he can be in charge of setting it. Now your kid is learning to organize his time and be responsible. And he really liked setting the timer and he watched it go down and he did his little chores. And, and at the end, he came up to his mom and said, mom, we have to go. There is only a sliver of red left. So he's engaged. He's really relating to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would add that I did this with my kids too, because 
we didn't have school buses and I had to get three kids into the car by five minutes to eight on my own because my husband was always already at work. And there were mornings where it was loud and unpleasant. <laughs> and we'd get in the car, we'd say, boy, that was no fun for anybody. Right. But we needed, and we did some problem solving and we came up with a whole plan as Joanna was talking about. And a couple of weeks would go by, it would be really great. And then we'd start to slide backwards and take another minute. <laughs> and then we'd get in the car again. And I'll tell you, when my oldest was in middle school, he was the one who started to say, well, that was no fun. We need a different plan. And I thought, I have arrived. <laughs> this, is a, this is a skill for life. It's, you know, how do we resolve conflicts you know, with, with, that we have with other people? How do we find solutions? And what if we use those solutions and then they stop working? We have a system to figure out something else. We know at one point, one of my kids just could never find his shoes. So we came up with the idea of how about we have a shoe corner? And when you take them off, you always put them in the shoe corner. To this day, my husband, my kids are out of the house. My husband still puts his shoes in the shoe corner. So it's a, it's an approach to life It's when we have a conflict, instead of fighting against each other, we work with each other to find a solution that will satisfy all parties. Yeah. I, I love those suggestions. Um, I'm a huge fan of timers. That's actually what we've done in my family is we have, we have two timers. So one goes off that says you have five minutes Mm -hmm. until it's time to leave. And then there's another timer that goes off. Cause we at first only had one timer and then everybody was just like shocked when the timer went off and they're not ready, you know? So when the first timer goes off, that means like it's getting close, get your, get yourself ready. And then when the second timer goes off, it's time to go. And if you're totally ready, you get a point for the day. Um, and that has kind of transformed our mornings and made it a lot easier. And the other thing we do is kind of similar to what you were saying, Joanna, is that they aren't allowed to play until they've had breakfast and gotten totally ready. So once you do all the things you need to do, then of course you can play, but until then you need to do those things first. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, you'll, you'll pick an order that works for your family. Certainly. You know, one of the things I found in my family was my kids were very leisurely eaters. Yeah. So, so we had to put things in order where, you know, first you, you know, get dressed and then you get your books and then eating was the last thing before playing, um, you know, and some parents, you know, maybe would, you know, front load that, but, but not for us. So that's another, you know, that's another uh, variable you can play with is what order should things be done in. Yeah. And and I like Julie's comment that, you know, it's going to be an ongoing process. So if it falls apart, you know, don't throw up your hands and say, well, this failed, this method failed, yeah. um, you know, just, you know, put your stroke, your chin and say, boy, this is like life itself, just entropy, things fall apart. And then we put them back together. Yeah. A, a great life skill. Yes. I, I love that idea of involving them in the problem solving method. Um, I think that's a great, it was such an important skill to teach children. Um, so my next question is how do we respond as parents to kids not listening? And then how do we respond on the rare occasion? They do listen to encourage that to keep happening. You know, like you mentioned earlier, the, the way a lot of us were raised um, previous in previous generations was if you didn't listen, follow through, parents would follow through with a harsh punishment. And, you know, we're learning through lots of more recent researches that harsh punishments 
are actually not an effective teaching tool. Um, so what, so because that's the, what a lot of us grew up with, a lot of us are at a loss of, well, what do I do? How do I respond when they don't listen? And how do I respond when they do listen in a way that it encourages it to happen more? And, you know, I'm guessing the response should not be what some of us got as children, which was like, oh, finally you listen, you know, <laughs> to encourage it. So I feel like a lot of us just need some new responses, right? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a one thing you do instead of punishment. So I'm, so I'm tempted to ask you if you could give us an example from your own life of a kid who didn't listen and you're wondering what to do. And then I can show you how we think about it using your example. Yeah. I mean, why don't we stick with the, what we've been talking about, like getting kids shoes on in the morning to try to get them out the door. You know, you say, put on your shoes, you try a playful approach, you know, the shoe needs a partner or whatever we're talking, you know, and like, they're still not listening and oh my gosh, the timer's going off and we need to get out the door. Do, yeah. You know, do, is that when you do wrestle them down and get the shoes on or you know, do you be like, this isn't worth, isn't worth it. And I'm going to keep uh, trying these more gen. So how do you, how do you do, deal with that? You know, at what point do you, do you say, I need to just follow through and make this happen? Yeah. And, and so I think about it in, in two ways, what to do in the moment and then what to do about the moment. Yeah. And in the moment when you, I mean, it's really hard to get shoes on a kid who's completely unwilling, right? So they're going to be kicking. They're going to be screaming. They're going to be running around. So that might be the child who I pick up and I say, I see, it's just too hard to get your shoes on. We have to go now. I'm going to pick you up and put you in the car without your shoes. I'll carry them to the car. I'll put them in. So yeah. in that, in that sense, I'm, I'm taking action, but even then I'm, I'm not saying, you know, you, you know, it's your fault. You told, I told you, you have to get your shoes on and now you're not cooperating. You know, you're losing your privilege of watching with the iPad or whatever we want to take away from them. But it's not that it's that I can't let this go on. I have to get in the car because, you know, school is waiting. I'm going to get dinged. <laughs> the doors will close. Um, and so we have to get going and I will do what I have to do to protect myself from being late, you know, to, for the sake of the other kids who need to get to school on time. But the, so that, that's what I would do in the moment. But outside of the moment, I'm going to ask myself, what's going on for this kid? Why does he not want to put his shoes on to begin with? And there can be so many different reasons. And that's why I say there isn't one answer. Some kids don't like the feeling of their shoes. Some kids, you know, are tired and they they just can't get themselves to do anything. Some, you know, some kids, you know, there's there's so many reasons why they might not be wanting to put their shoes on. And that's they might dread school. Maybe something's happening there, right? Maybe we need to think about what is going on there and give them some strategies or talk to the school about what's going on there. This could be so many reasons. Um, I had a dad in one of my groups who could not get his kid to put his socks on. Okay, shoes, socks, right? <laughs> shoes, socks have to come first. Couldn't even get to the shoes. And his kid would complain unless he had one of three pairs of favorite socks, right? And so he was yelling at his kid, like, it doesn't matter which socks they are. You just have to put them on. Your, the other socks are in the laundry. Put these on. And of course, the kid, you will not be surprised to hear, did not say, oh, they're in the laundry. Oh, then, then okay. no problem. I will do it. Thanks for explaining <laughs> to me, right? <laughs> I know that didn't happen because then he wouldn't have come to my workshop and said, how do I get the socks on? You know, so we I told him, I shared with him how one of my kids has had and still has very sensitive feet. And yeah. he was very sensitive to socks that had seams on them and 
this, the feeling of something touching his feet was very over, you know, overstimulating for him. And we need, and, and I said, it really does make a difference. Those three socks that he likes, can we get more of those socks? Cause that would be a, I think that would be a reasonable solution. Like it's not, I don't want you to think of it as caving in to this child. Like he's being controlling. It's more that he actually feels the difference and they, the other socks hurt. You know, we, this dad's like socks can't hurt. I'm like, well, they can for some kids. Yeah. Well, that's got, you know, so he actually ended up buying more of the socks this kid liked and the sock problem disappeared until the babysitter came over and she grabbed some pair of socks that wasn't one of the preferred ones. Somehow she found them. And of course the kid complained and she's trying to force the kid to put his shoes on and the dad's like screaming at her, you know, like, don't do that. He, he knows what he feels. And of course, <laughs> the, you know, in the workshop, he's telling the story and everybody's laughing at him because like you were that person the other week. Hilarious. <laughs> You know, so so the principle is we have to ask ourselves why, what's going on for this child? Why are they behaving this way to begin with? And I think we get very focused understandably on, but we need to go. It doesn't matter why. But if you want to solve this problem, especially a sock or shoe problem, which you're going to face at least every morning, if not several times a day, right? It's worth asking why. Why does this child not want to put their shoes on? And, and it could be, you know, that it, that the child doesn't have sensory issues. It could be something so simple as, you know, what one of uh, a couple had in my workshop, which was that, you know, their child was playing with Lego in the morning and it just, you know, as a young child, he was going to preschool and he would just become so deeply engaged that it was painful for him to pull out and they they just decided all together where we can't do this. We can't have this kind of play in the morning because it's too much of a tease to the child. You know, it's not that the child is bad, but he becomes deeply engaged and it's too hard to pull away. So, you know, we need to find, you know, put that away for the morning and find something else that you can do for a short amount of time and pull away from, you know, so it doesn't always have to be some kind of, deeper issue. It could just be a way of arranging the morning. But again, as Julie said, in, instead of just thinking about how do I get a child to do something, it's it's really nice to sit back and say, what is going on? What's going on for the child? You know, what are my needs? What are their needs? How can we make it work? I Yes, I love that. I also have a child who is very particular about their socks and we tried <laughs> maybe a hundred different type of socks until we found the type that she was happy with. And then the issue with shoes in the morning was totally eliminated. So I totally agree with you on that suggestion and that, you know, sensory issues are real children, you know, toddlers have a strong need for routine and things to be the same. And that's a real need, you know, just recognizing Mm -hmm. that these needs that kind of seem ridiculous to us as parents, like are actually real needs that children have, you know, I think that's such an important perspective shift. Um, and speaking of, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add about, um, you know, the, that whole morning problem, because I think that is such a challenging time for so many families because children weren't designed to get up and go, 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 you know, to do the things they have to do that, and, and that's the world a lot of us live in. And for my kids, I, I realized at one point that, you know, the tr- transitions are hard, stopping one activity and starting another. So when my kids would start playing, of course, they didn't want to stop playing to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> so I would try to eliminate transitions whenever I could. And I 
many a morning, I remember <laughs> taking my kids and saying, let's pretend we're trains. They were playing with trains. I said, we're going to be trains. Let's pick them up and they'll be the trains. And and I'd say, who wants to be the the engine? Who wants to be the caboose? And we would all go chugga, 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 choo, choo, into the car. And oh, in the car, we'd go chugga, 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 here comes the train. And we'd get out and be like, oh, the train is going into the, into the school. There was no stopping the play. It's yeah. we're, we're trains at home. We're still trains. Where's the train station, which is at the school, right? We get to school, <laughs> we get out of the car. <laughs> we're here. Everybody, the train has to go inside. And there was, a, so, you know, eliminating transitions is another strategy that it's a playful strategy that I like. For my child, I love the, the tool of putting the child in charge because he was very much a, you know, if you tell, if you say up, I'll say down, you know, if you say left, I'll go right. So, you know, every morning we would have the obligatory fight over wearing a coat when it was okay. below freezing out. And, and he also ran hot, you know, he didn't like to wear a bulky coat, but uh, one thing I put him in charge of was checking the thermometer. And we actually got a thermometer and we put, we made little pictures of kids dressed yeah. in different outfits, you know, the bathing suit for, you know, 80 and above and, you know, all the way down to the winter coat and the mittens for below 32. And I asked him to like, check the thermometer and tell us what we need to wear this morning, uh, which, you know, delighted him because now instead of mom telling him what to do, he's telling mom what to do. And, you know, and again, but he's being responsible. He's relating to his environment. You know, we also got him a, you know, I, I actually had a friend who helped him make his own uh, fleece coat, which was very light and not bulky. Mm -hmm. And he loved it because it was light. And he also loved it because it was this marvelous sewing project that, thank you, Lianne, had the patience to make with my five-year-old son. So, you know, and again, it's not so much permissive as like learning wonderful life skills and being in charge of yourself. I, I love that. Um, you know, I was just reading a, a lot of research that's come out recently about this type of parenting style where you're really supporting your child's autonomy and putting them in charge is associated with all these amazing outcomes as adults. So like there's a lot of research backing this up. You know, it isn't just kind of, like you said, it's not permissive parenting. It's different. It's kind of really supporting your child in having choice and having autonomy over their own world within limits, mm. of course, you know, we're not going to just totally give them free reign, but there's so much research backing that up. And I think that's, really important for parents to learn like strategies like this, that you can give children autonomy in a way that still works within our lives that, you know, they still get to school on time. Um, so the final question I have for both of you, this has been so incredibly helpful, but I just have one more question. What about neurodiverse children? So we talked a little bit about sensory issues, but what about children with ADHD or autism um, or other sorts of developmental delays? How do we adapt these strategies to be effective for children who maybe have more trouble listening and cooperating? I just remember a story. I think it was from one of Julie's groups where there was a parent who, whose kid would, you know, bang on the screen door when she was working in the kitchen because he wanted to go out in the yard and play with the other kids. You know, she would try and she because this kid was on the spectrum, she really needed to be outside supervising, you know, make sure he didn't run into the street or what have you. And um, so she would try to distract him 
away from the door and say, you know, come, come here, help me. And he would, you know, go and cry and bang. And sometimes she would just put up with it. And, and one of the things she learned in the group was it the same old skill, which is acknowledge feelings. But again, you know, we can't have enough practice at it because, you know, when a kid, when you have to keep a kid inside, you know, you want to pull them away from that. But what she learned to do was say, oh, you see the other kids outside and you want to go to play with them because he was nonverbal. And hearing that put into words, again, allowed this kid to calm down. Oh, she gets it. And then she would be able to say to him, you know what? I just have to finish, you know, making the salad and putting up the stew or what have you, you know, come help me rip the lettuce leaves and then we'll go out. And then he would be able to stop crying and banging and come and help her. So it's another example of, you know, put into words what kids want to say, acknowledge feelings, you know, even when they're negative feelings and even when they're feelings about something a kid wants to do that you don't want to let them do. Um, acknowledging that will help, will help him calm down, will help him think straight, and will help you both come up with other solutions. So. Uh, and, you know, even more important when you have a nonverbal kid who's getting more and more frustrated because he can't say to you what he wants to say. Well, this has been so incredibly helpful. I love how you guys give such practical tips, you know, that will actually work in our lives. You know, I think there are just so many, so much useful information in here um, for really helping parents make you know, this incredibly hard task a little bit easier. So I cannot thank you enough. Um, if you could tell my audience just one more time where to find you if they want more information. Sure. We have our two books, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7. That's our first book. And our new book is How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen, Whining, Fighting, Meltdowns, Defiance, and Other Challenges of Childhood. Either book you can get online or at your local bookstore, wherever the, wherever books are sold. And if you want to find us, you can find us online at how-to-talk.com. That's how to talk with dashes between the words, howtotalk.com. You can find us on Instagram at howtotalk.forparents. You can find us on Facebook at Faber and King or search for the title of our book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, that should do it. You can email us from any, or message us from any of those sites. So we're very findable. Wonderful. <laughs> and, and in terms of the, what we do, we have books, we have workshops, we do private consults, we do speaking, we we, we laugh with each other. <laughs> what else do we do? <laughs> I think that pretty much covers it. <laughs> we make bad puns. Yes, we do. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. This has really been so helpful. Um, and I know it'll be helpful to other parents as well. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Parenting Translator is a nonprofit organization, so all of these podcasts and the information they provide are given to you for free. If you would like to support our work, please subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it. Thank you so much.